This is Pastor Joshua Swilly, and you're listening to the Hope United Podcast. We pray that this message is a blessing to you. Amen. Good afternoon. As you can see, Pastor Joshua and Pastor Corinne are not here. They send you their love and their greetings. And I just want to thank them for giving me this opportunity. Always thankful for an opportunity to stand before you and share with you what God has placed on his heart to share with you. And thanking God for the gift um, that he has given me and the word that he has given me for this morning. So last week, Pastor Joshua started a new sermon series called Still Possessing the Promise, which in actuality, it kind of started at the beginning of the year when he made a declaration over this house that 2019 would be the year of possessing the promise, not receiving the promise, not hearing the promise, but possessing the promise as Brittany was saying you know when the children of Israel actually went into the land and they took possession of the promise so even though it's July 28th 2019 things may not have gone the way that you anticipated them to go but guess what God is still able he does not live inside of time he does not live on our timetable he shows up exactly when he's supposed to and that's always on time amen So last week during Pastor Joshua's sermon, there were three things that I took away personally that I'm going to share with you. The first thing from last week's sermon is that where there is a word, there will be a battle. And I can testify of that personally. You know, when you receive a word from God, you're excited about it because it's a word from God. And he is like, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to increase you. I'm going to promote you. And you're like, yes, I'm excited. So as excited as you are to receive that word, the enemy of your soul, he feels the exact opposite. So for him, that's a, that's a war cry. So we're in battle now and he comes and he attacks. So that leads me to the second thing, which is if you want to be blessed, develop a good habit of rehearsing God's word, right? Why is that important? Because when you're in the midst of possessing the promise, and sometimes it's a process to possess the promise. And then you're in the midst of that process and the enemy is attacking. You need to remind yourself of why you're in the battle. So you need to rehearse the word of God, the specific word that God has spoken to you, whatever that may be, whatever that prophetic word must be, might be you remind yourself of that, but also you remind yourself of the promises in his word that he will never leave you and he will never forsake you, that he is, I am who I am, that he is Jehovah Jireh, that he is Jehovah Rapha, that he is the same yesterday, today, and and forever, that he never fails, that his promises are yea and amen. You remind the enemy of the word of God. This is the sword of the spirit. This is what you fight your battles with. When the enemy comes in like a flood, you lift up the standard of the word of God. That is why we have to hide it in our hearts, hide it on the tablet of your heart. Because when the enemy comes, you do not have time to say, let me turn to so and he already took his shot so you have to come hard and fast with the word of god for everything that he, every time that he tells you that you can't you said that i can do all things through christ who strengthens me greater is he that is within me that he who is in the world you fight back with the word of god and you rehearse it and that's how it gets hidden in your heart the third thing is that when waiting on the promise 
exercise trust in God, which should be easy. It should be easy. Like God is omnipotent, omniscient. He was here before I was. And so he is the great I am. I should trust him. Right. But is always challenges in trusting God. But we have to lean on the word of God in Proverbs 3, 5 that says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Right? Because we see through a glass darkly. We don't see the whole picture. God sees the entire picture from the beginning to the end. And we're in the middle and we're trying to see the end and the end's not looking like we think it would look. Trust God that he is perfecting those things which concern you. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promises. God can be trusted to keep his promises. He does not lie. He cannot lie. So if he said it, he can be trusted to keep that promise. The verse also says, Hold tightly to hope without wavering. Hold tightly to hope without wavering. To me, this tells me that situations, circumstances, people are going to enter my life that will cause me to want to waver, right? But I have to hold fast and not waver. So two things that we're going to talk about this morning that may cause us to waver. Have you guys heard about public enemy? Okay, we're going to call them promise enemies. So we're going to have promise enemy number one and promise enemy number two. And we're going to start with promise enemy, like we're counting down. We're going to start with promise enemy number two first. So several years ago, I received a prophetic word that I was not receiving. I was like, your prophetic antenna is off today. You're not hearing from the Lord because this does not make any type of sense to me. And the word was that there are people praying for you to fail. And I was like, who does that? Who prays to God for somebody to fail? And how do you do that? Dear God, like, can they fail? Like, does that, yeah, no. I was like, nah, uh -uh, that's not from God. But as I grew and matured in God through the Holy Spirit, you know, God showed me that this word is true. So let's keep it 100, you know, 100% real. Not everybody is happy when you succeed. And not everybody is praying for your, you would like to think that everybody is praying for your success, but not everybody is happy when you succeed and not everybody is praying for your success. I believe the correct dictionary termination um, definition of this word is called a hater. Okay. As hater, you can look in the urban dictionary, you get the correct definition, hater. We're not going to call them haters today. We're going to, cause that's like kind of mean. We're going to call them promise stealers right? So they can be strangers, but more often than not, they're going to be somebody that is close to you because they have to be close enough to you to steal the promise. If it's a stranger, you're going to be on guard. So it's going to be somebody that's closer to you in order for them to steal the promise. Promise stealers, a promise stealers mission that they've been given to say by Satan, whether they realize it or not, is to keep you from possessing the promise of God by any means necessary. And Satan is going to use someone close to you as a promise stealer because someone close to you has a degree of influence over your life. You're going to listen to them. So it might happen like this. You receive a word from God that you're going to get a promotion and you're excited. 
because with promotion comes raises. Anyways, so you're excited about this promotion and you share with so-and-so that, you know, God has given you this word. I want you to stand in faith with me and pray for this word. And they might say something like this. Are you sure you want a promotion on your job? You don't even like the managers there. I think you should pray about that. And there, this seed of doubt is planted. And now you're questioning the word of God over your life. So what God was saying to me when I received that word, that some people are not praying for you to succeed. They're actually praying for you to fail. The revelation that I got is that you cannot share your promises with everybody. You have to know who to share your promise with. And some promises you just have to keep to yourself. Right? So let's look at Mary, the mother of Jesus. So she received a promise. Literally, she received a promise and she was holding it on the inside of her. Right? So she knew that this was something miraculous that was taking place. This was something special. You know, I would be excited and I would want to share immediately because I like to talk. But... Mary, she did not call her mom. She did not call her best friend up on the phone. She was like, girl, guess what? Child, some wise men came from the east. Wise men from the east. I don't know what part of the east, but they came. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Yes, girl, gold. I told you this baby was special. No. Mary did not call anybody. She did not text anybody. She did not post, not one post on social media. She didn't do any of that stuff. Luke 2.19 says that Mary treasured these things in her heart and pondered them. Mary kept them to herself and she pondered them. She meditated on them. And even when Mary did share it with somebody, she shared it with somebody that she knew had a relationship with God. Luke 1.39 says that after finding out that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit, with the son of God that Mary went to visit her cousin, Elizabeth. And a little bit before that, in verse 6 of Luke 1, it says that both Zachariah and his wife, Elizabeth, were righteous in the sight of God. So Elizabeth had a relationship with God, and Mary knew this. So she's going to go and share her promise with somebody that she knows has a relationship with God, and is probably going to speak life into her. So Mary goes to share this news with Elizabeth. Mary lived in Nazareth. Elizabeth lived in a town called Hebron. Hebron is about 81 miles away from Nazareth. There were no cars. There were no taxis. There were no Ubers. So she is walking or she is riding on a donkey 81 miles while pregnant to go and see Elizabeth. Mary did not look for somebody who was close in proximity and distance to her right? Or in relation to her. She looked for somebody who was in close proximity to God to share her promise with. And when she got there, she didn't even have to tell Elizabeth the promise. The Holy Spirit had already revealed the promise to her. Luke 1, 43 through 45 says, when Mary entered Elizabeth's house, Elizabeth said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promise to her. So immediately when Elizabeth received this word, she began to affirm the promise that Mary had received. And she began to bless Mary. 
right? So we should share our promises with someone who is going to pray with us and declare that this word will come to pass in the name of Jesus. Somebody who's going to intercede for us and intercede with us because this also helps us to protect the promise. Now, an example of not protecting the promise by sharing your promises with haters, I mean promise stealers, is your boy Joe. Y'all know Joe? Joe in Genesis chapter 37, Joseph. Yeah, the dude with the coat of many colors. Now, I like, I like stories, and I find this story very interesting, very fascinating, because it clearly says in Genesis 37 verse 4 that Joseph's brothers hated him. I did not need to go and look that up in the Hebrew. I did not need to pray about that. It was very clear. It says Joseph's brothers hated him. So I always wondered, why did he share his dreams with people who hated him? Like, who does that? Prophet Eddie told me it was because Joseph was prideful. I just thought it was because he wasn't smart. So he goes and he shares his dreams with, you know, his brothers and they hate him. And so they begin to conspire against him and they decide, they said amongst themselves, we're going to kill him and we'll see how that dream comes to pass now. Right? So they conspire to kill him. They don't kill him. They put him in a pit. He's sold into slavery. He ends up as a slave in a guy called Potiphar's house. And Potiphar is a high ranking official in Pharaoh's, um, government. And so Joseph, while he's in Pharaoh's house and um, Potiphar's house, sorry, he rises to leadership, you know, in this house, because when you're a leader, it doesn't matter. You can sit on the back row, all you back row sitters. We see you, we see you and we see the gifts of God in you. So no matter where you are, a leader is going to lead even in slavery, you're going to lead. So Joseph is leading in Pharaoh's house. And you know, the Bible says, I don't know. Y'all might have to check me on this. The Bible says that he was handsome and he had a nice body. So I imagine he kind of looked like Idris Elba. Not sure, but that's what I see when I read it. So he is, he is walking around looking as fine as he want to be. And he catches the attention of Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar's wife was like, I see you, PYT. Pretty young thing. And she shoots a shot. Joseph blocks it. She does not take rejection well. And so she says, she accuses him of rape and he ends up in prison. Right? So I imagine at this time, Joseph is saying to God, okay, God, when you gave me that dream, when you gave me that promise, I didn't really see getting thrown into a pit, being sold into slavery, being accused of rape and ending up in prison. That was not my vision for this. I saw lights, cameras, action, celebrity. What is this? And so now Joseph, he's in jail, right? And again, he becomes a leader in jail because leaders lead where, no matter where they are. And two of his fellow inmates, they have a dream, both of them on the same night. That, and nobody in the jail can interpret the dream. And Joseph is like, I can interpret it. Right? So he gives them the interpretation, both of them the interpretation. Three days later, both of the interpretations come to pass, just as he said. Pharaoh's baker is executed. And Pharaoh's cupbearer is restored to his position in Pharaoh's palace. So Joseph says to the cupbearer, yo, 
Remember your boy when you get in the palace, 20 to life. I can't do it. So two years pass, and the cupbearer did forget. But two years pass, and Pharaoh, he has two consecutive dreams that nobody in all of the lands of Egypt can interpret. So this is when the cupbearer remembers, oh, snap, Joe in jail. He got you, Pharaoh. This boy know how to interpret dreams. So Pharaoh's like, bring your boy over here. So they go, they get Joseph. He is able to interpret the dreams because your gift will always make room for you, no matter where you are. And in the most unusual situations and circumstances, your gift will make room for you. So Joseph interprets the dream, seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. That was the meaning of the dream. He also gives Pharaoh some advice. He says, you need somebody to manage the overflow in the years of plenty so that there will be provision in the, in the years of famine. And that's a whole other sermon. Won't preach that today. So he was like, you need to find somebody to manage it. Pharaoh says, wow, I think you should do that. So now once again, Joseph is elevated to a position of prominence and the famine happens and it reaches the land of Canaan. Canaan is where Joseph is from. So his brothers and his father, his, his father, his family is still there and they're experiencing the famine. But they hear that in the land of Egypt, in the land of Egypt, they have food. So Jacob, Joseph's father, sends his sons to Egypt to go see about getting some food so they don't die. Right. So they come in and they have to see Joseph about getting this food. And just as Joseph had dreamt, they're bowing before him and asking him for food. So the whole dream comes to pass. Joseph is able to bring his family from Canaan to Egypt, and he's able to sustain them and basically save their lives, right? So then his father dies. So his father's dead and his brothers are afraid because they're like, okay, daddy's dead now. Joseph, definitely go get us now. And Joseph said, don't be afraid because what you intended for evil, God turned it around and used it for good. And the interesting thing is that he did not say what you intended for evil. God turned it around and used it for my good. No, God just used it for good. So the thing that they were trying to stop from happening, the dream that they were trying to stop from coming to pass, actually saved their own lives. What they intended for evil, God turned it around and used it for their own good. That which the enemy tries to use to eliminate your promise, God uses to propel you to your promise. So, you know, it may look right now, you know, like you're in a pit or it might seem like you're in a prison. It, it doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter how it seems that God, like we sang earlier, God is working on your behalf. Even when it doesn't seem like he's working, he absolutely never stops working. He never stops working. He's continuously working on your behalf. So if there is a Red Sea, He's going to part it. If there's a giant, he's going to slay it. If there's a wall, he's going to flatten it. If it's something that seems dead, he's going to resurrect it. If there is no way, he is going to make a way because he is a way maker. He is a way maker. It's who he is. We sang it. That is who you are. That is who you are. You could trust that. You know that he is going to come through no matter what it may seem like, like he came through for Joseph. 
You know, this man is in jail, accused of something that he did not do. And God took him, and we say it all the time, but he took him out of jail and he placed him in a, in a palace to save Israel, to save his family's life. So if he, and he does not change. So if he did it, then he will do it now. The, the first promise enemy number one that we're going to talk about now, and I'm going to use myself as an example so nobody can say that I'm talking about them. <laughs> For those that don't know, I'm a writer. So in 2015, I, I had a book published. It's called O Romeo, O Romeo. That is not a plug. It's, it's not a plug. <laughs> and so it was the first book in this, in this three-book series, and the second book was supposed to come out shortly after, and that was 2015, and it's 2019, and yeah, I'm not done yet. I'm not done. And I just have, like, all of these excuses. I'm too busy. I don't have enough time. My favorite excuse, this sucks. This sucks, and I, like, throw the whole book away, and I don't do anything with it. So then I procrastinate for months, and I pick it back up, and then I'm like, this still sucks. And I put it down and I'm just like going in this circle. So I'm my own worst enemy. So promise enemy number one is you. And we don't like to admit, you know, that we're blocking our own blessing. You know, we would like to blame it on the devil. But sometimes it's just us when we allow ourselves to become stagnated, when we allow ourselves to become complacent, when we allow ourselves to become immobile and paralyzed in possessing the promise. So we're going to look at three areas that we have to personally battle with in the mind because the battlefield is the mind. And the first area is fear. And this can be fear of failing or fear of succeeding. So fear is a spirit that when it shows up, you have to cast it down immediately because fear will paralyze you. It will lie to you. Fear is false evidence appearing real. It will lie to you and it will cause you to miss out on what God has for you. So when fear kicks in, we must activate our faith. Faith over fear. Faith that God, who is omniscient, who is omnipotent, who has done it so many times before in our own lives, that he is faithful and he is going to do what he says that we can do. What he can do. So the word of God says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of, I know y'all know this word, this word, power, love, and a sound mind. So fear destabilizes our mind because it brings in doubt. It brings in anxiety. It brings in, um, um, not, um, it brings, it brings in doubt. It brings in anxiety and it brings in stress, Right. But the word says that the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, patience, and self-control, right? So if your thoughts are not lined up with any part of the fruit, you have to cast it down in the name of Jesus. When you began to think about the promises of God, you began to think about the fruit of the spirit manifesting through those promises. The second area is comfort. Comfort that we get comfortable like that I am good. I know that's me. I am so good right now. Not right here, right now, because this is uncomfortable. But <laughs> back there, I am so good. I am so comfortable. But if we look throughout scripture, you know, God always 
gives uncomfortable things for us to do. We look at Moses. I want you to go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. What? I'm not doing that. You know, he's like, I can't talk. I'm not doing that. He was not, he was not comfortable. We see Gideon, you know, the angel of the Lord showed up to Gideon and said, you know, I want you to, to defend me against this false God. And Gideon said, mm, not me. I'm the smallest and the least in my family. Uncomfortable. God went to Barak and asked him to kill the king. And he was like, well, I can't go without Deborah. I, I'm uncomfortable by myself, you know? He always gives us these uncomfortable things to do. So if you have a promise, I guarantee you, you're going to feel uncomfortable. There's no way around it. It's going to make you feel uncomfortable. I heard one preacher say, you know, it's often uncomfortable. And that's why he gave us a comforter. The promise is going to make you feel uncomfortable. So that's why he's given us a comforter to lead and guide us into all truth. And not just that, the comfort of the Holy Spirit has endowed us with power. The same power that was in Jesus now lives on the inside of us. And we're walking around defeated. We're walking around sick. Like the Holy Spirit, the power, the spirit of God lives inside of you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead in three days is inside of us. So we have the power and authority to speak to dead things and resurrect them in the name of Jesus. The third thing is comparison. Yeah. Galatians 6, 4 says, pay careful attention to your own work for then you will get satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. You will not need to compare yourself to anyone else. Comparison is like poison. It kills joy. It kills satisfaction. It kills success. Cause you could be doing, you know, real good until you start looking at Susie and you're like, Susie just got saved and she got married. I've been waiting on my husband for like 20 years. You know, like, and, and so we should not compare ourselves. And the Bible says, don't compare yourselves amongst yourselves. We each have our own unique set of circumstances, our own unique promise, and our own unique path. So do not compare your unique journey to somebody else's unique journey. And I know you've heard this before. It's like comparing oranges and apples. You know, what God is doing in your life, he's doing something different in somebody's life. And the way that he's working in this person's life, he's working in your life in a different way because he treats all of his children uniquely, just like you parents, you know, you, you treat and you deal with your child in a unique way. You don't, you treat them all the same way, but you don't deal with all of them the same way. So if God has promised you, you know, that you have a family member that you're praying for and God has promised you that they will be saved, they will be saved. If you have you know, a business or a business idea that God has given you, it will come to pass. God has promised us in our, in his word that we have health. The word of God says that by the stripes of Jesus Christ, we are healed. Not we might be healed. He kind of thinking on it, you know, no, you are healed. That is the promise of God in his word. So we can't give up. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest. If we do not give up, do not become weary. This is something that I tell myself all the time, because when you're waiting or going through the process of a promise, you know, you can become weary. You can become discouraged, but it says, do not become weary because you will 
I mean, let me read it. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time and God's appointed time, we will reap our harvest if we don't give up. The enemy's objective is to make us give up, to make us stop before we reach the finish line. You know, what if Jesus had given up in the garden? What if instead of saying, not my will, your will, what if he just said, my will be done, his own will be done. Sorry for all of us. That's a different end game. What about if Moses in the wilderness has said, you know, all of these complaining people. It wasn't like a couple of them. It's like millions of them complaining every day. We don't want to eat quail no more. I've been like, you know what? I'm leaving. Eat what you want. (laughs) You know, but he didn't, he didn't give up. Paul in prison, beaten in prison. He didn't give up. He wrote two thirds of the new Testament. He could have easily been like, I'm in prison. Um, you know, and been chilling in prison. Instead, he said, let me write a letter to Ephesus. Cause those people in Ephesus, they're not acting right. Let me go write a letter to the church at Corinth. Let me write a church, a, a letter to the Philippines. Cause even the Philippians, because even though he was in prison, his mind was not, he did not allow his mind to become a prison. Amen. To win the battles against the promised enemies, number one. And number two, you have to keep Jesus at the center of everything. Pastor Joshua talked about that in the last sermon series. Jesus has to be the center. You have to keep your focus on Jesus. We see Peter, you know, he had the courage to get off, get out of the boat, you know, to walk on water. And he's walking on the water, but then he takes his eyes off of Jesus and starts looking at the storm. And then he sinks. And it's the same thing with us. When we take our eyes off of Jesus and we start looking at the situation, we start looking at the circumstance, we start looking at what's going on, then we begin to sink in the situation, in the circumstance. We have to keep our focus on Jesus and ask, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? He said, just believe. He said, just believe. Just believe. So you have to believe in the promises of God. Also, we need to guard our gates. I talked about, you know, who to share the promise with. So we have to guard our gates. And our gatekeeper is the gift of discernment. That the Holy Spirit has given you the gift of discernment to be able to guard who you let in and who you let close to you. So you use that gift of discernment to discern spirits and discern where people are. But also, as we... Um, watch who we open doors to. We also have to watch who we're closing doors on because it's equally important because God is bringing people into your life to help you to fulfill the promise. They're bringing you, bringing them, he's bringing them into your life to facilitate the promise. You know, he gave Moses after Moses, I can't do this. Well, he gave him Aaron to help him facilitate the promise. He gave Ruth, Naomi. He gave David, Jonathan. He gave Paul, Silas. And he will bring somebody into your life to help you along the way. So you can't just close the door on everybody. And that's why it's a door and not a wall. (laughs) You, You have the ability to let people in and out as the Holy Spirit leads and guides. So Satan comes as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's his job. He's coming to kill the promise, you know. And so it's our job to protect it until it is fulfilled. So you have to stand guard. Stand guard. You have to be on guard. You have to stay vigilant in order to protect 
the promise of God because he wants them to be fulfilled in your life. He wants you to walk in the destiny and purpose that he has for you. He wants you to fulfill the plans that he has for you. And I know because I've been there that it is discouraging when it's not happening when we think it should happen. You know, it can become discouraging. So anybody who's feeling discouraged, who's feeling hopeless, who's feeling like the promise is taking too long, I'm going to invite our intercessors to the front. And if you feel discouraged, if you feel hopeless, if you feel like maybe time has passed, I'm going to invite you to come and let one of our intercessors pray with you. That there there is power in agreement. There is power in agreement that we're going to break the chains of bondage. We're going to break the spirit of discouragement against the promises of God. Don't don't let Satan keep you in your seat. You know, we're here to pray with you and to make that declaration over your lives. Father God, we just thank you for this opportunity to be in your house, Lord God, to receive from you, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, for every word, Lord, that was spoken over us individually and every word that was given to this house, Lord God, that it will come to pass, that this is the year of possessing the promise, Lord God, and that we will come to the end of this year, Lord God, and we will be able to share our testimonies, Lord God, of how you made a way out of no way, Lord God, of how you showed up as a way maker, Heavenly Father, Lord God, that we will overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the words of our testimony lord god we come lord god against every strategy every plot every plan every device of the enemy lord god to distract us lord god to take us off path off the path of righteousness that you set us on lord god and we cancel it right now in the name of jesus lord god we release lord god the angels that you've given charge over us lord god to their assignments in our lives lord god that you're making crooked paths straight lord god that lord god that you're, Lord God, raining down blessings upon us, Lord God, so that we may be a blessing to those that you put in our path, Lord God, that you're taking, Lord God, this message of hope, Lord God, from this house to the four corners of the earth, Lord God. So we thank you, Lord God, for the promises, Lord God, that will come to pass in 2019. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Hope United podcast. Please consider planting a seed in this ministry. Any seed helps us get the gospel message out to those that would otherwise not hear it. If you want to give, please click the link below in the episode notes. If you're in the area, come visit us in Pembroke Pines, Florida. May God bless you and may you possess the promise God has for you.